to Yo-Yo's Tired. On this episode of Yo-Yo's Tired, I've got a special guest, Darius Dogmechi. He is a political scientist, one of the most intelligent people I know, and a good friend of mine. We're going to discuss politics. And politics is something Darius and I are very passionate about. We disagree fiercely <laughs> on it, <laughs> but we are very good friends. And one of the reasons I think we've been able to maintain our friendship despite the fact we have such different political views, is because I believe Darius is fundamentally a good person. We just disagree on how to make the world a better place. So for this episode, we're going to have like one of the debates we always have, but we're actually going to put this on the internet. The first topic we're going to discuss is feminism. So I identify as a feminist. Darius, I want to know, do you identify as a feminist? I think in the modern sense, not anymore. But I'd say I'd classify myself as a first, second, or should say classical feminist in that in that sense, in terms of the original values of what it stood for. So what parts of modern feminism do you disagree with? I personally find a lot of the things that, a lot of criticisms towards men aren't warranted and are perhaps more societal or should we say biological. And by that I mean, I think there are there are some things that just due to the way society's been structured, whether it's more advantageous to a man or a woman, I think we should, I think the moment you keep putting a label on it that, you know, you're, you know, you're a man, you can do this, you're a woman, you can do that. I feel you need to break down barriers, but the way I've made it a bit complicated because it's such a vast topic, you know? Um, yeah. And I think if I was to, sorry, to break that down and summarize it a bit better for the audience, I'd mainly say, I think some of their forms of activism I don't really, you know, not acceptable almost. What? Maybe. There was a group of feminists who I, there are, there are several groups of people who identify as feminists who I'm, I am reluctant to support or mm. I have been reluctant to support in the past because I didn't understand why they were doing what they were doing. An example of that is the men are trash feminists who basically mm. go around saying men are trash. And I I think some men are trash. I don't think oh, men no, are just. <laughs> I don't think I all. Agree. I don't think all men are trash. There are men who are trash, but to define all men as trash, I think is unfair. But it wasn't until I un, until I understood what they meant by men are trash is that we have a system, the patriarchy, which has allowed a certain group of men to be trash. It's kind of like how they say Black Lives Matter, even though we mm. do believe all lives matter. We're just addressing a specific issue. And I think that's what that group of feminists were trying to do. So do you think it's a problem of not understanding what they are trying to do or a problem of you understand what they are trying to do, but you don't agree with it? I think everyone's goal is always admirable. I mean, if they're, if they're trying to, let's say, achieve in, in like equality in terms of we say, in the workplace, in terms of, let's say, a salary gap, no, I agree. Like That's not warranted. That should be eliminated. I think that's... If there's anything a woman can do, what a man can do in most in most cases, unless it's, for example, we look at the military, where um, naturally men are chosen a more rigorous, you know, physically demanding, to say, assignments or missions, because biologically, a woman is what technically weaker in that department. I think it's easy to generalize saying, you know, the patriarchy, the patriarchy, the patriarchy. But I feel there's other ways to, you know, a lot of the time, for example, if we look at politics right and there are as we know less 
female MPs. I know that in Scotland it's what legal that it has to be a 50-50 share in terms of you know gender equality of 50% men and 50% women. But I don't think that really makes the problem. That doesn't help the problem. I think if you want to encourage more women, let's say field A or field B, that's through education and encouragement. That's not through forcing it. I agree with you that some feminists are not addressing the issues properly and that they're just looking at the surface issues. Uh, I'll give you an example. So I took the BuzzFeed feminist quiz oh, a few no. years ago. <laughs> and and I, I got 75%. So they said, oh, you're like, you're a feminist, but you still need to get 25%. And, 20, and it was because a lot of the questions they had there I just didn't agree with like they had one which said that if a woman is less qualified she should be able to get the job the same job as a man and you know obviously I believe in meritocracy that's one of the things I fundamentally believe in so I don't believe that women who are less qualified out of affirmative action should be getting those jobs I think rather we should be using education to make women more qualified so they can get those jobs in the first place I think I think also what you do see is a lot of the uh, certain, should we say, cliques within, let's say, the feminist movement that are very opposed or almost jingoistic to the idea of, let's say, um, a woman wants, let's say, a woman wants to be a housewife. I mean, I don't think that's something to be scowled at or anything. I think that's very admirable on its own. It's a job on its own. But at the same time, I think we should also have women. You want to encourage them into like into jobs and there's no I think they should be but at the same time I feel certain groups you know look at women who want to be housewives or have lesser roles and let's say the financial is part of the household that they're almost attacked and I think that's quite unfair on their end. I don't think I obviously think that it's unfair to attack people on the choices they make whether it is to be a housewife or not but I think those you might be conflating what they're trying to do. I know a lot of feminists let us give women more choice. They're not saying you can't be a housewife. They're trying to say you don't just have to be a housewife. You don't just have to be a wife. Being a wife can be beautiful and wonderful and being a mother can be beautiful and wonderful. But I think a lot of these feminists, are, and including myself, are saying you, ha- you can be a wife. You can choose to be a house and stay at home, but you also have the choice to go in- into the workspace and you should be given that choice. And I think in a lot of cases, some women aren't given that choice. And that's why some feminists are quite radical about it. But I think that's more prevalent and let's say more conservative or should we say more theocratic or just generally more religious states. I mean, if we look at obviously the Middle East, obviously there's a few exemptions, but I think it's very common. Um, it's, a, it's common practice for, you know, a woman's role is essentially what? The household. It's not really seen as something for them to get out of. And I know obviously we're in that forward trend of seeing them out there, but I feel in, let's say, where women do have the choice, and let's face it, I think of course there is anomalies. That's always prevalent, no matter how progressive or modern you want to view a nation's, you know, standard, or, you know, society, sorry. You know, in case in Western countries, they know they have the choice. They're not being coerced. They're not being forced to keep the household. They make the, the conscious decision to be at home and support their families instead of, you know, wanting to pursue, let's say, I think there are a minority of women who have made those choices, but I feel like a lot of women have been socially conditioned, whether indirectly or directly, to make indirectly to make those choices through sociological effects, sociological ideas like giving a woman a dog, giving her a 
giving just giving her toy giving a little girl toys that make her more maternal and more like into the household and making those things affect the choices girls make so a lot of girls already subconsciously are making that choice and i just believe that we should give them all the choices they can instead of sociologically forcing them to do certain things that they wouldn't do otherwise hmm i understand but perhaps but i think you know i know a lot of women that you know for example my sister you know she was given not dolls etc as a kid but that didn't stop her from now you know becoming a, you know obtaining her medical doctorate you do something i mean i don't see her dropping out of let's say pursuing a further education or anything like that you know i i think it i think if anything you know it's natural women are more maternal it's just the way you know the way they react with that they you know it's a biological code you could say and i think it's a lovely thing i just never really saw maybe as a you know a male i you know maybe it's something i'm blind to it could be you know i maybe i'm poorly equipped or you know unaware enough to comment on that department and think you know what is it that makes a feminist is it like for example you've said it before that there are vocal minorities that are quite radical and that's you know prevalent in any in any group or organization you see it in black lives matter you see it in anything but for me at least i see being a feminist as well i want equality across the board in terms of equal pay or yeah. any job making you know any form of career or whatever but what i was recently educated on was the idea of there's little uh, i wouldn't want to call it microaggressions but like little micro disadvantages how for example like women had to pay a tampon tax that was not yeah. they don't you know, they don't choose to have a period it's forced upon them right and was i the one who told you that <laughs> was i the one who told you about the pink tax Yes, it was a mixture of you and some other figures. Yeah, um and you know how it's unfortunate that they have to pay for something that they don't choose to opt into. Do you know what I mean? Any other, you know, if I wanted to buy, I don't know, some medical care that's not needed, you know, I pay for it fine, but this is something that's unfair on them because men don't have to pay a, a form of extra payment for that. And I agree. I think that's unjust. I I think everything you've said, I understand it. I may not agree with all of it. I do but I I still identify as a feminist because I feminism identifies a problem and it's not I I don't think the problem is men I think the problem is the system a vocal minority of feminists who keep identifying men as the problem and that that really annoys me because it really silences the feminist movement especially because a lot of a lot of issues promote um caused by the patriarchy affects men male suicide is a product of the patriarchy the fact that male suicide is so high is a product of the patriarchy yet these radical feminists are silencing that and when the men's rights movement who I can't stand I'm so sorry um them <laughs> start vocalizing these issues i understand why they do it because it proves the point of the radical feminists and the radical feminists are the reason the men's rights movement exists the reactionary measure no i mean maybe they're finding that i think obviously people you know individuals that are part of let's say that organization or that let's say that ideology are people that let's face they're probably from more conservative leaning backgrounds and if we all know how they view society they think rapid you know rapid change, rapid change is harmful they like a slow you know evolutionary um transition and when you have you know the vocal minority which are you know they're they're so vocal that a lot of let's say a lot of 
people on the right, or even the center, it can radicalize them to saying, okay, maybe this is not a good movement at all, because you see them, especially on you know, college campuses, you know, they're very vocal about it, and they're you know, pointing that when you're told your gender, which is, is now what the problem, essentially, it's hard for you to imagine, because I think, I think they wouldn't realize in terms of, it's very hostile, you know, it's, an, it's a hostile environment now, and I think a lot of men now are, take it from me, it's not, for, I'd say, the last couple of years, I wouldn't think twice. I'd think women are just complaining. I wouldn't understand their issues. But obviously, after further education and so on, and obviously growing up and you see these things around you, yeah, you, I, I, can, I can safely say, yes, there are definitely some bad eggs. And that, you know, because of their misactions, whether at a club of a man's handsy or something like that, or a girl's catcall. I mean, yeah, it, it's not nice. I probably wouldn't like it either. I don't, I think it's, it gets to the point where there are lots of men then think, you know, it's, I, I'm not that guy though. I'm a good person and, you know, I would vote for a woman or I'd work for a woman. I wouldn't think twice about it. But because you have these very aggressive minorities, um, that are shouting or whatnot or, you know, campaigning, it makes you feel alienated and you don't really feel like you belong to the feminist movement anymore. Maybe that's the camp I fall in that I want them, I want women to progress in any shape of society. Hell, you know, if they want to become PM, go for it. I'd vote, I'd vote for a woman. It wouldn't bother me. But at the same time, it's hard when you have this vocal minority that are constantly battering you when you've done nothing, essentially. I completely agree with you that these people are alienating men from the conversation because you know me very well that I believe the way of dismantling this system is men and women working together. I don't think we can get to equality without men on our side. And I think the problem with these radical feminists is that they are alienating men from the conversation. No, for sure. I think it ends up to the point where you'd have, for example, if the audience don't understand quite what I mean in terms of what I would classify as a radical, you get certain feminists that, for example, I could hold the door for a woman. It's nothing to do with me being me being, let's say, interested in this individual in any shape or form. It's just a manner of politeness. I'd expect the same, you know? Or maybe it's just an old-fashioned courtesy that, what, a gentleman or a man, whatever, holds the door for a woman. It's just the way it is, right? It's been like that for centuries. Whether you want to consider that the patriarchy or not, up to you, fine. But I would hold the door for them, and they could be offended. You see what I mean? I think it's not, it's, it gets to that. Okay, well, I think holding the door because of chivalry is archaic. I think holding the door as a human being is just what you should do as a human being. If exactly, I hold yeah. the door for anybody, like I don't care your gender. The, the whole holding the door thing, getting angry at men for holding the door for you, kind of gets me annoyed. But how do you feel about like paying for dates and stuff? <laughs> paying for dates? I mean, I'm going to cut this out too. Just say my partner because I... I said my wallet. I said my wallet. <laughs> Disagree. Oh, sorry. I thought you said my woman. Disagree. <laughs> I was just saying, you want to- yeah, my wallet would uh, disagree, but I think it's not even a matter of it for a date or not, even with friends, you know, I, you know, I often offer to pay, it's just- Don't um, lie. Continue, I'm joking, it's a joke. No, I know, I know, but I think it's, it, you know, no matter the situation, you know, obviously, my wallet weeps when I offer, but I, you know, when it's for people I care for, obviously I sometimes I offer to pay or if they need something, I do it. It's not, I mean, regardless of the, if it's a gender date, whatever it is, I do it. It's more of a, it depends on obviously how cheap you are as a person and um, also your, just how your, what your willingness is to pay in that department. Yeah, for me, I think whoever has more money should pay. 
and oh. that's how I honestly feel. Like, so if it's a guy who has more money, pay, he should pay. If it's a woman who has more money, she should pay. I think it's just about who has more money. Like, whose wallet is gonna cry less? <laughs> <laughs> that's my philosophy. I think the, but I think if we want to be the progressive sort and we're aiming for equality, then let's go for the fifty-fifty system. You know, I think that's just you split. Nah, if no, if I'm broke, like I've got nothing in my bank account, and you've got like a million dollars, bro, you're paying. <laughs> Probably, I guess in that case. But then if it goes back to, um, no, no, yeah, <laughs> that's a good point actually. But then I think if you, you know, back to your previous point about you know it requires what both genders to you know. Sorry, um, you know, to collaborate on, you know, to achieve. I, I remember actually, I think I was, I can't remember quite how old I was, but it was in the early, I think it was like 2013, 2014. You know, and all boys are those edgy teens that like to, let's say, make jokes about women. Fair enough. You know, it's just, it was the time. But I remember Emma Watson's UN speech. I think it was for the UN. It was for her, her um, the He for She, you know, movement. And I was personally, it didn't change my views too much, but then obviously as I've grown and I've grown older and, you know, expanded my knowledge on it, you know, I think it was quite nice to look back on it. And I think she was right. I think, you know, the idea is he for she. I mean, they have to, we have to support each other if you want to achieve equality. I don't think it's, I think the whole feminist branding is pretty poor. I mean, now at least, if you're trying to achieve equality in terms of, let's say, men, um, men, let's say, not being, being more open about, let's say, mental health or whatever and so on, I think that's also, you know, with the high suicide rates, I think it's about, probably I'm probably wrong in the statistics I remember once I read it was about what well, two-thirds higher than women in terms of men killing themselves and all that due to the pressures of society and all that yeah I agree with Emma Watson's he for she and how and her branding of feminism oh what I was gonna say was but don't you think feminism dis- differs internationally because I remember a few years ago in 2015 I was watching a documentary about Saudi Arabia, the most progressive state in the world. Oh, of course. <laughs> a hallmark for, you know, equality amongst of the sectors. Yeah. Yeah. So I was watching a documentary about Saudi Arabia and their first election where they would allow women to, women to run as candidates. But then, guess what these guys did? So they didn't allow the women to have meetings in public. Mm. So they couldn't have rallies while the men were having rallies and like having their time campaigning politically. Yeah. And, but then these women couldn't, one woman had webcam with two people on it saying vote for me. And then there was another woman who was like trying to rally. She had hardly anyone supporting her. She was just calling people vote for me. And half the people she was calling couldn't even vote anyway. And then, and then there was a third woman who was like a and who identified as a feminist and had just come from America. And it was back then women couldn't drive. They were still like settling the whole women could drive thing. They've settled it now, I think. Um, I hope so. And she basically, yeah, at this, and she was, she'd gotten in a lot of problems. She'd gotten in a lot of trouble with the government because she committed the worst crime ever. Guess what her crime was? Did she not cover her hair? Oh, that, and also she was driving while female. Oh, no, that's, that's a no-no, you see, in the, in the progressive state of Saudi Arabia. Yeah, so they saw her feminism, and I was like, that's my feminism. That's the feminism support. I want, I want to see women getting equality in places everywhere, like internationally. I want to see more girls in school. I don't want 200 million girls to be subjected to FGM. I, don't, I want to see that eradicated, and that's what my feminism is about. And I think internationally, feminism is very different. 
and Lyon, and the, because the disparities are much clearer than they are in the West. No, I agree, but I think that's the same with, let's say, social, socio-political development per country. I think, for example, conservatism is varies per nation as well. Like, if we were left with you, that I think that's an interesting comparison because if we let's say compare conservatism in America compared to in you know the United States compared to the UK, it's different. For example, at least in a, at least for the most part, conservatives within the UK, they're they're all for let's say call it a nationwide healthcare or you know abortion rights so on. But then if you go to the US, those things are that's almost that's blasphemy over there. And I think for example, feminists uh, because women's rights obviously differs per country, right? So for example, you know, in Iran, what a year ago they finally got the right to you know enter a football stadium after a woman lit herself on fire. But then you oh can my the, god! I know, just to get people's attention. But then you can draw the comparison to that to what Britain in what the eighteen nineteen hundreds, where so it was the nineteen hundreds. My bad, where that lady jumped in front of them. Was the Emily Davidson. Exactly. Do you see what I mean? So I think every country varies on their, should we say, road to let's say, if you want to call it what female emancipation or whatnot. And it's the same because each country personal development different and I think it's a matter of obviously if you're looking at the European standards it's on a complete different level I bet you the feminists in let's say the Middle East or you know Asia they couldn't even you know fathom the idea of the rights that let's say a woman in Germany enjoys compared to let's say a woman in I don't know Oman do you see what I'm saying so yeah or Afghanistan but a problem I personally have with feminism, and I think you all have it as well, is the fact that feminism alienates conservative women. And there are a lot of conservative women who I disagree with fundamentally. Tommy Lahren. Um, oh, my favorite. <laughs> Tommy Lahren. And, but then I respect her right to speak. I respect her right as a strong, independent, young woman to speak. And I think... It's, I think, silencing those people and saying they're not feminist or alienating them from feminism just because they have conservative views. I have a friend who identifies as feminist, but she's pro-life. And people are like, you can't be pro-life and a feminist. And I'm like, screw you. You can be feminist and believe whatever you want. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, as though obviously religion has a plays a huge role. No, I'm not talking about purely on pro-life or whatever. I'm referring, obviously on the topic of abortion, I'm referring purely on the sense of, you know, a lot of religious practices have often depicted what women in the, in, you know, not in the workplace, at least. So, another thing we should discuss, immigration. This one, we're going to oh. disagree on very big fundamental things. Oh, very big, very big, very big. <laughs> so, the way I feel about immigration is that I feel like I should be allowed to go anywhere. If you are a law-abiding, if you are a if you are a law-abiding citizen who's not committed any crimes, you should be allowed to go anywhere and live anywhere. And that's how I feel. How do you feel, Darius? <laughs> I think we agree on that basic principle. But the thing is, how do we deal with the people who? Where I know we disagree fundamentally is how do you how do we deal with the people who don't follow those rules or have been living in countries illegally and so on? Because yeah, <laughs> I'm. Look, I, I get the argument. I genuinely, I do get the argument of it's human rights. You know, you can't throw them out. You can't, I understand. I really do. Believe me, I do. But I feel if you're going to evade the rule, if you're going to, you know, toss aside the rules for one set of individuals, what is the incentive? To, because 
to follow the rules for everyone else. I mean, you have people that wait years on the waiting list to get out. You get visas or green cards into the U.S. or the countries in general. Or in the they, U.K. Like in the U.K. Let me be real with you. In the U.K., I know people who it took them 15 years of living here to get through the legal process, like the legal process, to finally get an English passport. Yes, yeah, you see what I mean. And then you have individuals that, okay, I get it. If you're an asylum seeker, maybe, I understand it. <laughs> maybe, maybe you, you guys are, I mean, as long as they're not economic migrants and they're, let's say it's a group that are being persecuted, fine, I understand, fair enough. But I think it's unfair on the people who have worked, because what, what message does that give across to you? The system applies to you, but it doesn't apply to other people. But like, I think it's nuanced in the sense that lots of people who are exceptions to this rule. Are you saying that a mother coming from Yemen who has gone on a ship knowing that she could be dead, going on a boat and finally gets to England and you're like, you have to go. Are you telling that? Are you saying that mother, you're illegal. You are, you are committing a crime even though she has fought through some of the most difficult things to get to the UK. And she's, and she's, and she's not safe. I support I support all immigration in a sense unless the person is like a danger to the country they're coming in like they are a criminal. Him knocking, you wouldn't let them in. I get that. Yeah. Yeah, but then if they are any who, someone who's just looking for a better life somewhere else, why shouldn't we let them come here? Why shouldn't why should why should they not be allowed to be here? We they are human too. They and them, but, but it's so difficult to come here legally. So it's either you make it easier for them to come or you accept them as illegals. I might make it easier for them to come. No, I get that. But I'm saying if we're going to your point about the, you know, say the woman from Yemen, that's what I'm saying. You're an asylum seeker. What I don't like is when you have economic migrants. So people that are not fleeing their lives. Okay. Let's face it, money is an incentive. But if they're impoverished, if they're an economic, they're economic migrants. A, a migrant, they're impoverished. Okay, let me give you an example. A Nigerian immigrant coming to the UK, someone who lives on less than one dollar a day, comes to the UK and he's like, I'm, I'm coming to the UK to have a better life. I'm, I, I'm in Nigeria, I live in a slum, I can barely eat, I'm coming here to make a better life so I can send money back to my family so they can eat. Are you telling me that person should be sent back to live on one dollar a day? The thing is, well, See, this is, this is my argument with what I know a lot, 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 lot of liberals do. They put that on you, but then, because, you know, you, they, play, they play the moral card. And I get that. I do. It's unfortunate. But it, as long as that person enters the country legally, goes through the, prop, the proper systems in place, I have no problem with where this person is from. As long as they follow the rules, as you're saying, and if they're going to give, you know, um, uh, money back, go for it. It's their money. They've worked hard for it. They should. But my principle is, is that it's, if if you're gonna be if you don't apply the rules to everyone, what's the point of the system? I think my thing is I I get the rules thing, but I think those rules should only exist for people who are explicitly criminal. And I think so in certain places it's hard to get a visa to the UK. It's hard to come here, and it's hard to take the legal means, and that's why they're going illegally. If it was easier for them to do it legally, they would do it legally legally but it's not easy so they're doing it illegally treat them with empathy and respect and let them live here peacefully i understand that but then you're if if, if, if the idea okay if we make the system easier which i think is a good idea which is, is the reform is needed but let's say i make the system easier and anyone can come in 
I'm not saying anyone. I'm saying the idea of let's say okay, a person like Nicolette says person A here is the one you described, okay, no criminal record, whatever, he's coming just for to provide more money for his family at home. I understand that. But then I get it that, that you can always make the argument, oh, they would take jobs that let's say locals wouldn't want to do. But it's not so much, I'm not referring to, let's say, the local as in, like, the average English jock. No, I'm referring to a citizen of this country who is entitled to a job more than, let's say, a migrant just because they aren't a citizen yet. I don't agree, I don't agree with that. I think the world is a global market. And I think if you bring more skills to the table, you should, you, they should get the job over you. You don't, you shouldn't get a job by just, merely just because you live in the country. I think what the country should do is that, if there are lots of people who are unskilled and have no teeth, then you should pay. <laughs> you should pay to give them. I'm sorry, I'm gonna be shady, but you should pay to give them teeth and give them a good education so they can get those jobs, so they can compete against the international market instead of saying we're gonna restrict immigration. No, but but that's the thing. No, um, I obviously we we both believe, believe in meritocracy. I get that, but the idea is. If, let's say, of two people, the same skills, and I'm an employer, I think it's in my interest to recruit the individual that has the same skill set, and it's from the country I'm... I'm no, I'm I, not I, one of those people. I don't think just because someone is, let's say, from a less fortunate background, I should be more generous to them. No, I, I do think... I, believe in, I do I believe, believe in affirmative action, so it's weird for me. Cause I know, I, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> I believe, like, if there is a clear disparity in opportunity, then the person who finds it harder in life should be given some affirmative action. But I also do believe that whoever is better skilled should be given the job, which sounds like a paradox, but do you get what I mean? No, I get that. But I feel, I think, I, I, I really do feel that an individual who, he just put it like this, you know, the ind if I'm if I'm the I'm the leader of my let's say I'm the leader of country A my interests are for the people of country A and I as, as much as my immigration I understand boost economy I'm not saying it doesn't but you need to have controlled flow if you have too much at once your the co the competition for jobs would be so fierce that you're going to stir resentment for but instead but then the way you the way you improve the the way you skills and funding funding I don't think the solution should be immigration control. The solution should be more education. I think immigration control is integral if you have an illegal migration problem. Because let's face it, no one wins in illegal immigration. You know, it's, because they may have a job, but they don't pay taxes. And if the burden falls upon the citizens to clean that mess up, I understand. I just think integrally, maybe a points-based system is valid. Because then a country can decide, okay, we have a shortage of, I don't know, bricklayers or doctors. Then we we assert the system to be more flexible for the people, no matter their background. For that, but then okay, think about it. Most at London, most mm. many of the menial jobs are taken by immigrants. Many of them, I'm not saying most. Many of them are taken by oh, immigrants yeah. simply because I'm sorry, English people just don't want those jobs. It's not it's not that the immigrants are like we're going to steal your jobs and they're coming there and taking them. And I think that's fair enough. Argument. That's an overdone argument saying that oh, like every white person, every white working class blue collar person is lazy and they won't take these jobs. I did not say they were lazy, please. <laughs> no, 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 my mouth. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm just saying the idea of like that's what some people say, and I get that. That's some in some cases that's true, but that's a lot of the time it's due to companies these 
multinationals or whatever, these TNCs, what ends up happening is because they know these migrants will, be, will not complain being paid peanuts or less than, let's say, the, the standard of, let's say, what a citizen would accept, they will take those jobs. They will ship off those jobs That's to them. I do believe that everyone should be paid a living wage. They should be paid enough to live on. That's what I fundamentally well, I believe. Agree on that too, but we can to agree on that. We can agree on that. That's just basic human decency. Exactly, exactly. And I, I think, think that's a... You have to draw the line at some point there. Obviously, I believe in free markets. We both believe in free markets. And we, do, we also both believe in limited government regulation. But where I believe that government regulation should, be, should increase in, is in terms of social welfare and in terms of humanizing the effects of, of the negative effects of capitalism. One of the negative effects of capitalism is massive inequality. Well, I don't believe in absolute equality. I'm not a socialist. <laughs> That's quite what some people say. <laughs> I wonder who, I wonder who. <laughs> um, um, but I do believe in, in the welfare state and in redistributive policies and in regulation. There should be more regulations on these multinational companies. But that is an entirely different topic from immigration itself. I think what we should do is greater regulations on the multinationals, increase skills in the country so we can do compete internationally and make immigration more flexible because making immigration more flexible because these people are not coming here for no reason i think i believe more in terms of i look i i believe in elements of meritocracy i do obviously in certain areas i do believe i like for example i'm in favor of monarchy i think it's a great system and that doesn't necessarily mean that. So I think that's for another episode. But in terms of, let's say, the average person, no, I do believe in meritocracy in terms of you should, it's about if you have the skills for it, you get the job. However, I do think, though, you, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the idea of um, equality for access to, let's say, higher positions, not so much mass equality in general. I mean, I will give you, I will give every citizen, every individual equal access to the tools they need to build themselves up to a position but it doesn't necessarily mean it's society as a whole is going to be because I, I fundamentally know that's not how well the world works. Uh, yeah, I agree with you, but I do. But I think we're never going to agree on immigration. That's just the thing. I don't think no, we'll no, ever no, agree no. on immigration. I don't think so, no. But, you know, it, we can agree to disagree, as you say. Yeah. So. And that's what I think. If with a strong healthcare department, you would, they're not fine, a strong we say national health, you would, as a result, have a strong peace necessarily. We're in the midst, arguably, of a new Cold War with, with proxy wars taking place across the world. So look at Syria, look at... Which you're funding by, by, sell, by selling arms to the Saudi Arabians. I know, but that's the thing. It's the idea of that they're a big market and what happens on that part of the world isn't our business, you know? It is your business because you're creating refugees. And ironically, you're the same people saying, we don't want to take them. I think because I don't think magically that if you bring them to this country and it makes their problems go away. The culture is different. A lot like as we saw unfortunately in Germany on was it the Boxing Day, was it rape or whatever. Like it's unfortunate. I'm not saying all of them are, let's make that clear. But culturally it's not an easy one stop all their problems are solved. I don't think culturally all Yemenis people are rapists. Syria, Somalia, places like this. They are rapists. I don't think you mysteriously grew up in Somalia and you're like, I'm gonna go around raping people. <laughs> they're not used to it because they're not used to the culture of let's say okay they're saying women being, being very exposed they think that's an invitation to let's say attack them no rape is about power not it's not more about what you're wearing 
whole, the whole, the whole thing's happening. Like we've seen in Germany. Like there's a reason that anti straight xenophobia and all this type of stuff has risen in that country and the far right gained popularity because they have actively seen incidents like this that scare people. I'm not saying all the like I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that immigrants. I think it has to do with the fact that there are some toxic people who are going to abuse other people and they just happen to be brown. They just happen to be black. Just like there are, just like there are, um, predators like Harvey Weinstein who happen to be white. I don't think it has anything to do with their upbringing or where they're from or their race. No, but a lot of these people, you can arguably say they're not necessarily compatible in terms, but that's an argument for another time, a debate for another time, sorry, with certain values. But ends up what happens is it stirs up resentment. I think the best solution was to create safety zones in these countries, give them education, give them healthcare, give them what they need so that when the conflict's over, they can re- they can return back to the you know their world their life before, um and so on, but yeah, yeah. So thank you, Darius, for being on this podcast. It was amazing, amazing speaking to you. You no, are so intelligent. You're so insightful. I you, wish you the you best of luck in all your endeavors. And God bless you. It's just an. It was such an amazing conversation to have with you. So we'll have another one. We'll do a part two. We'll do a part two. We'll, we no. This is also. I want to finish it up by saying. So me and Darius and someone else were meant to start a podcast called the Friendly Quarrel. So technically, oh, yes. this episode is like the first episode of the Friendly Quarrel. We can get so, them on. We should get them on. Yeah. This is. Te- yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get him on. Like next episode, we're gonna get next him episode. on, and we're gonna have this discussion. And like. Yeah.